continuing unpacking the essentials this morning in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, This is one of those Sundays where my heart is extra filled because it's Child Dedication Sunday. I've got some families who are going to be dedicating their childs to the Lord today, children to the Lord. And then uh, we have it again next week, which is really exciting, too, because... This church takes very seriously the command, go thou and multiply. So it's, it's fun. It's, it's been a real gift. A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege when, um, uh, when it wasn't my turn to preach. And I got to be back there. And it's incredible what God's doing in the, in the children ministry. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that, celebrate that today with those families. Uh, and it also just so happens that in our series, Unpacking the Essentials, going through Luke chapter 18, we are now... Coming to the text where we get this practice from. In Luke 18, Jesus teaches on the children and having childlike faith. So we're going to be unpacking that today. Unpacking what it means to have childlike faith. And and it's just going to just hopefully just cover every aspect of our our service today as we celebrate these dedications and what it means to us as a church. Um, We tend to take this for granted, but Jesus absolutely revolutionized the way we see kids. I mean, he, he just completely disrupted the way the ancient world treated and cared for babies and children. Kids back in Jesus' day had essentially no dignity afforded to them at all. Uh, they were considered, even with the, their potential of becoming adults, they were considered just subclass. And there were all sorts of things that just kind of you know, show this to be true uh, at the societal level. For instance, there was this terrible practice of exposure. It was called where ancient uh, heads of households could decide typically within the first eight days of a newborn's life whether or not to keep it or to leave it out on the street, literally. And the reasons that were often given for that were just manifold, some of which were for reasons of poverty because they didn't have enough to feed one more mouth. Ironically, the other reason that would often be correlated to that with wealth was sometimes families were rich and they didn't want to have to divide up this estate to just one more kid. Sometimes it would happen because the kid was, quote unquote, the wrong gender. Illegitimacy in the kids, different illnesses, you name it. But that was, that was commonplace in Jesus' day. And then you think about how in the ancient world, there were actually a lot of clubs and associations for people to have places where they belong. We don't really think about that uh, too often today, but that was the case. There's a lot of these clubs and associations for people to belong, to have a sense of identity and connection to, but not for kids. I mean, think about all the youth sports programs, the camps, the organizations. I mean, in some ways, it seems like we're all the more dedicated to kids having a place for belonging, but that just didn't exist in Jesus' day, not until he came along. And we see here in this famous teaching that kids were literally being, quote, brought to him. In the ancient Greek, it's even more uh, specific in that they were just 
the kids were completely passive in this whole journey. They were completely dependent to get in front of Jesus. And Jesus was taking them in his arms, blessing them, dedicating them. And he, he uttered this incredible statement that maybe we take for granted today. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I was reading one biblical scholar this week who said, we need to understand today that back then in Jesus' day, these words, a de declaration like this, just wouldn't have entered any human being's mind. Just a completely different age, but this is Jesus. This is Jesus' movement that he started right here, an alternative community for children that just started to ripple out from here. And you guys know the history, I imagine. It was under a Christian emperor that the, the that sad practice we talked about earlier, exposure, was ultimately forbidden. Orphanages started, orphanages started to spring up from churches and groups. This, this idea of God parenting kicked up, uh, took, took, uh, kind of caught wind in that situation, in, in those times. The reason for that is the lifespan of an adult was about 30 years old. So the church decided, you know what, if parents are going to, pass away young, heaven forbid. We want to have other people in the church there to take care of them. I mean, all the rest of it just sort of kind of grassroots up. Poverty started to be tackled, not just because the church understood it's good to take care of the poor, but to systemically get at what, what was hurting kids in the next generation. Jesus started that movement right here with these words, helping us understand that God has a very real core place in his kingdom for kids. So we're going to celebrate that today, but we're also going to learn from it. Because Jesus actually doesn't just stop there with revolutionizing the way we, we learn, we, we, we see kids. He also wants us to learn from them. He shows them as examples in their faith. So we're going to be unpacking childlike faith. So let's pray, and then, and then we'll jump in here. Father, thank you for these little ones you've entrusted to our care. For the, we, we, we pray that as, as grandparents, parents, but also just collectively as a church, Thank you for these little ones. What a gift they are. Lord, would you bless them? Lord, those who are right now back there learning about you, would they grow deeper in their love for you today? Would some even make the connection and put their faith in you today? And Lord, through Curran and other gospel-believing churches in the area and, and beyond, we pray that you would raise up a next generation that just runs after you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, loves you, love others as, as they love themselves. But Father, today as we celebrate kid dedications on this day, we just, just so happened by the moving of your spirit happened to be, be in the same place in our text. Would you, would you teach us from your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first thought here is Jesus encourages us to learn from the faith of children. Okay, that has to be what's going on here because what we see is Jesus didn't just love these guys, welcome them into his family. He pointed to them as examples. So people were bringing their, their babies, their children to Jesus, and the disciples were upset with that. They were indignant. They didn't, they, you know, bless the disciples' hearts. They were people of their time. They figured they were, they were shielding Jesus. They were doing Jesus a favor by keeping him from unwanted distractions of these little babies, these parents bringing kids. So they, for, the, for their hearts, they were doing the best they can, but Jesus says, wait, verse 16, I love how it says, but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. Obviously, Jesus sees a bit of a teaching moment here, but notice how he goes about this teaching moment. Because he has the kids come up, and he's very clearly accepting them, welcoming them in, into his family. But what's more is he's also, as he's doing that, putting them on display for the adults and saying, hey, learn from them. You see, you see how he's going about this? 
verse 16 into 17 says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like these children you now see in front of you, disciples, will never enter it. So again, Jesus is not just accepting the children. He's saying they're a model. Their faith is a model. Learn from them this childlike faith. Uh, This text has a special place in my heart for a number of reasons. One of which is I always remember an early, uh, a a family of a a child who was about four years old at the time. Uh, One of our core leaders uh, had this daughter who I don't know how it came about, but I learned that she had this prayer at four years old. So such a precious prayer where she would always pray, Jesus, thank you for how much you love me. And how this came up was this core leader, core leader was, was talking about how that had influenced the way he prays and how he just realized in so many, so many situations when he goes to pray, often what he'll do is just go to his laundry list of things that he, you know, wants or hopes that God might answer, that sort of thing. But he realized his little daughter was showing him what it was really at the core all truly about, and that is that God loves him. God loves us. He was sharing that with me, and that's the way I began to pray after that. And then I started thinking, whoa, you think about this. From the faith of a little four-year-old, now at least two core leaders in a church have been impacted by her faith. I still pray that way today from time to time. It's just incredible. I mean, this morning I was here just getting prepared, and I had not shared any bit of the sermon or what we we're going to talk about today. And an individual said, oh, my goodness, this week my child reminded me that I really need to pray And she was saying that that meant the world to her. Like, one, seeing this face expression in her child, but also realizing her own soul needed to hear those words. We need to learn from the faith of of children. And, of course, this text could probably be misinterpreted, misunderstood in a number of ways. Jesus isn't saying just, hey, model your faith in every single way after kids. I mean, that wouldn't make sense. So what is he saying? He's saying, model the way you specifically receive God's love from kids. Let your childlike faith be there in that. How do you receive God's love? I think children do a great job of receiving love. I think adults tend to not be so great at receiving. You know, it's like someone wants to offer offer me help, and there's just this weird dynamic as an adult where I might just overly complicate it, where I'm like, no, I don't want to receive the help because I don't want to somehow feel indebted for receiving that help. You ever felt that way? It's like you don't even want to receive the help because you, don't, you feel like there might be in a sense of indebtedness that if you receive the help, then it's like way complicated. It's like, well, or you could just receive it. I could just receive it. Or sometimes an adult-like faith, if we can talk about it like this, like this is you, you do receive something, but then you think, oh, but it could have been better. Or it could have been different. I mean, kids just don't do that, right? By and large, they just receive. Which is an open... Dependent gratitude. Uh, But we adults, we tend to compare, we tend to calculate, we tend to complicate things. Childlike faith, it seems to me, is kind of like we were just singing earlier, that we are children of God, that he is faithful all my life. Childlike faith, it seems to me, is, is in the direction of, yeah, I see that life is hard and things might not be going the way that I would hope them to go, go at least personally as I would kind of script it out, but I am... God's child, and he's going to care for me, and it's going to work out great. You know, I was thinking about this this last week in preparation, and one of the things I, I was thinking about is how kids ask a lot of questions. Kids just, I mean, oh man, when they learn the question, why, your life is 
preordained from that moment for the next year. You're just going to get why. It's just like, yeah, you're going to get it. So they ask a lot of questions. But, you know, if we play this out in the more extremes, childlike questions, childlike faith of questions is more based on curiosity. Wouldn't you say? How is this? Why is this? And in its extreme, adult-like faith is more like, how dare this? How could this? But childlike faith, I mean, that's a, the, thing, the thing that kids know deep down, even if they would never articulate this on, the, on their own, is that they are completely and utterly dependent on others who, by the way, are imperfect to give them care and love. And they'll just receive it. And I think Jesus' point is, how much more ought we be lovingly, you know, by faith, dependent on our Heavenly Father's perfect good and love for us. Now, you might object real quickly, but who's to say his love is perfect and good? It's like, well, now we're falling back into adult-like faith. Jesus is inviting. There's so much freedom and blessing and, and gift if we would receive him as he calls us to, and that is like faith like, like a child. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the gospel, literally the good news, is this kingdom that Jesus is saying we are invited into we are invited into because God has done everything for us to enter into it. We are completely and utterly dependent on him to be received into his kingdom. The gospel is God sent his son into this world to live the life you and I ought to live, but don't. The Bible uses the word sin. It's really all these wrongdoings that we do that hurt our relationship with others, hurt our own self, our own lives, hurt our relationship with God. We don't kind of do these things. We constantly do these things and we deal with the effects of it but God sent his son to live the life that we don't live and die the death that we deserve what kind of death not just physical death but separation from him so we can be brought back into his family brought back into his kingdom he has alone made the way so we can receive that you cannot enter that Jesus is saying if you don't receive it like a child full dependence on him you know if you're to do a biblical study of the gospel accounts, the biographical accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all these biographical accounts of Jesus recorded about his life, you will see that of all the interactions people have with Jesus, the people who walked away blessed or having received a touch from God versus the ones who kind of left without a blessing, all essentially have one common denominator, that they recognize their need for God. Might, I might actually press it a little bit further. I would say that maybe even if you look at these accounts, people who actually received love, they all, common denominator, saw how desperate they were for God and his love. Physically, tangibly, and spiritually, intangibly, the rest of it. Jesus is saying to his followers, his disciples then, his disciples now, adults alike, he says, receive, receive me like a little child. Would you receive me for me? And the question I would ask is, have, have you ever thought of it that way, your faith? Would you describe your faith as childlike? Are you learning from kids in the way that they approach, especially God, receiving God's love? Are you, are you learning from them? That's the first thought. The second thought Jesus shows us here in this text, it seems to me, is, is he wants us to collectively point children to Jesus. We need to play our part in pointing our, our, our little ones among us, whether they're ours as parents or just ours collectively as a church family, towards Jesus. Because remember, what's happening here in this text is people were bringing their babies, bringing their kids to Jesus, and the disciples, bless them, were in error, but they were saying, no, don't bother the master, don't bother the teacher. He's got more important things to do than to bless your little kids. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? 
The disciples were essentially rebuking the parents, and Jesus in turn essentially rebuked the disciples. And what does he say? He says literally, let them come to me. Positive statement, negative statement. Don't hinder them. Let them come to me and don't hinder them. If there is one thought that we would say is the vision of our formal kids ministry that's happening back there right now with our kids, is that our primary goal is to help facilitate kids growing in a relationship with Jesus. That's it. Our main primary goal is help the kids over there grow in a deepening love with Jesus. Now, hopefully some of you are going, that sounds kind of obvious. I would hope so. That's not always obvious in practice. Because what can happen over there is we could say, okay, our primary goal is actually just to teach them the Bible. Maybe we don't even say it that way, but it's just by practice we do that. We want to teach them head knowledge. Now, parents, rest assured, we want to teach them the Bible. We want to teach them head knowledge. There's a lot of wonderful things in the scriptures, but that's not the first and foremost priority. You tracking with me? We could say what we really want to do is help them become good people. We want to teach them morality. Now, parents, rest assured, there's a lot in the scriptures that help us become better people, and we want to teach that over there, but that's not object number one. That's not primary goal. And just think about that for a second. I mean, maybe some of you have as a part of your story being a part of a church. This is not to take aim anywhere, but like where there's good intentions, but really the goal was be a better person, know these things, and that had certain effects. You know what the, the reality is? All the head knowledge of the Bible, which is a lot of head knowledge, all of the morality of the Bible, which is a lot of morality, all points to our need for Jesus. It's all for that main goal, that we would come to Jesus. And so as a formal ministry, for instance, we want to not hinder that. We want to facilitate that. The main thing we want to help our kids do, our, our little ones, the ones we're dedicating as they grow up, is help them grow in a deepening love, loving relationship with Jesus. And I would just say, I want to take a few minutes now to honor our kids team. You guys are awesome. Can, in fact, can we thank these guys? Everybody who serves formally on a kids team. Now, I realize, I realize some of you are here because you're off this week. And there's a good number of you now listening online, you know, tomorrow or whenever it is for us that hopefully you picked up our claps because you are by very nature over there and listening in later. And we just want to say thank you. Because kids team members, whether you're listening online or you're here with us right now, you are doing no small thing. Jesus at one point says in Mark 9, 37, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. We honor you because Jesus honors you. By the way, you can sign up for the kids team if you'd like to. There's opportunities. Actually, in all seriousness, guys, there is so much opportunity. Because for you as a kids team or for you potential kids team, you guys are not, you're doing no small thing. But pointing little ones, the next generation, to Jesus. That's, that's, that has a, can have a profound impact. And Jesus is saying that is tremendously important. Let the little kids come to me. Facilitate that. Don't, don't hinder them. Okay, so we've kind of highlighted how we need to point them, and there's opportunity to do that in a formal way. But there's also a lot of opportunity to do this in a more informal way. What do I mean by that? Uh, my parents started a church in Berkeley when I was a little guy, uh, middle school age, just on the cusp of middle school age. And my brother was younger and older siblings who, were, uh, who, had, who had moved on at that point. But basically... 
they started a church right next to the UC Berkeley campus, and it was so close to the UC Berkeley campus that essentially 80% of the congregation were always college students. Can you just imagine that? Like, even when the church grew to a couple hundred people, it was still like 80% college students, which meant my brother and I were essentially the youth group. I mean, yeah, we were the youth group. And I remember one time they asked, they, they put a call out, hey, does anybody want to help our kids' ministry, which was me and my, my brother Peter. <laughs> and this gal, bless her, she like signed up to do it. She came back and you could tell her faith was strong. And she's like, hey, so uh, this is the first week that we were doing this little like kids gathering. And she came over and talked to, talked to me and my brother. She was like, hey, so I've never led a kids' ministry before. Uh, but I love Jesus and I love the Bible and I, I can't wait to teach him from the Bible with you guys. We'll figure this out together. Does that sound okay? And my brother and I looked at each other, cool, okay, okay. And I don't remember a ton of her lessons, but I remember she took her faith very seriously. And you know what? So that, that was kind of like a more formal instance, but you know what? It was also had, has had a profound influence on me, including God, I would imagine using it to help form me to becoming a pastor, for instance, was seeing these college students informally as well walk with Jesus in Berkeley, and on UC Berkeley campus. Like, so I happened to be able to go to UC Berkeley. I was indoctrinated at a young age, so I got to experience this as a student eventually. But even before that, I was hearing stories in the lobby or when I was serving alongside some of these college students, these adults who I looked up to and trying to learn about the faith, whether uh, directly or indirectly. And I would hear things like they'd go into class and the professor would say, hey, and just so you know, as we start this class this semester, if you're Christian, you might not want to take this class. Because I would say you're not going to have your faith at the end of this. I actually experienced that myself, so I can validate that. But I heard that as a kid, and I, and I got to see, okay, how are these Christians going to handle situations like that? And it was incredible. I mean, one of the things I love about Berkeley, for instance, is that you can't be, quote-unquote, lukewarm in your faith. You can't just be a traditional Christian or nominal Christian. you got to work it out or, or whatever. And so I got to see these incredibly sharp Cal students, like, trying to navigate situations like that with a seriousness and humility in their faith, and that had a profound impact on me. That's Berkeley. This is the Silicon Valley. Can I put my dad hat on for a second? I am so thankful that my kids get to grow up around many of you working out your faith in this place. Because even in, boy, I'm getting emotional. Even as in informal settings, that can have a profound impact. Our little ones, uh, partly because of uh, Cindy's uh, Chinese heritage, will call many of you auntie and uncle, and they're watching you. Not in a weird way, which is awesome, because they're kids, but they're watching you. Work that out childlike for an adult. That'd be weird. But anyways, like they're watching you. They're paying attention. They're intuitive. We know this. And they're drawing connections. And I'll tell you what, again, with my dad hat on, they're learning some things from you that they won't necessarily learn from myself or Cindy. And that is wonderful. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said. Don't hinder them. And the last category of people I'd love to talk to are the, the parents here or the parents-to-be. I can say it that way. If any of you are feeling nervous about raising your kids, let alone to follow Jesus, first of all, join the club. <laughs> but second of all, as a church, we want to do everything we can collectively, formally, informally, 
to help you, to help each other. And that's, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. But let me ask you, are you looking to help your kids come to Jesus? Are you looking for ways not to hinder them? It's a question we gotta wrestle with. I, I was spending some time at a pastor's gathering the other day, and a buddy of mine, Korean-American pastor, had just gotten back from a three-month sabbatical where he spent the whole time in Korea. And I was like, that sounds not bad at all. So I started by asking him all these questions about food, as I'm wont to do. <laughs> but then eventually start, got, got around to more serious questions. I said, hey, so what did you, you learn over there? Like, what, what were you seeing? And it was clear he had been thinking about something because he, he quickly started talking about how there was one thing that he wasn't anticipating that made him a little sad. Uh, if you know a little bit of the history in Korea, I'm no buff myself, so forgive me as I humbly step into this. It's like over the last half century, it's become increasingly a, a Christian nation. He, he kind of went over there thinking he would see a lot of that reflected, if not in the culture, in, in the church, and just see a lot of that. And he said he came back and he realized like that just wasn't happening the way he had kind of like deep down hoped he would see, right? And so we were hearing him say this. I said, well, do you have any thoughts for why that is? And he said, well, actually, I was having this thought over there, and I asked around different pastors of the churches over there, and all of them, independently of each other, all essentially had the same answer, and that is, it all stems from the kids and the youth. He said, what a lot of the Korean pastors over there are seeing is that there's a lot of very devout parents, grandparents in the faith, the Christian faith, who want their kids to grow in a relationship with God, but when it really comes down to it, studying is a little bit more important for the big exam, for the big school, because grades and getting, and, and they can say, these pastors are saying, that God and Jesus and learning about him and worshiping him is the first and foremost thing, but then actually when it comes down to it, Sunday mornings are typically given, well, if you need to study, let's go ahead and prioritize that. Just their observations. I mean, that can easily happen here in different ways. Like, what's the main thing? You know, it makes me think in our culture, I mean, studying is a big, big part of it. Another part in our culture I think about is our youth sports. Did you know, Cindy found this out, it's, it's incredible. Do you know the profit in youth sports is now more, it now exceeds professional sports? It's, it's incredible. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, this sounds so weird. Like, my back, I used to be an athlete, okay? I'm not looking at all that sort of stuff. Athlete, at, baseball was my life. I did travel ball. It's a completely different game now, no pun intended. Travel ball, so it's just, and it's just, there's so, so much that we can, we got to think about and navigate if your kids happen to go into sports. So for instance, Cindy and I, we have a, a, a pastor that we really look up to, respect in the Southern California area, which by the way, when you would compare kind of athletic centric cultures, Southern California beats out even here and that sort of thing. And he was saying, he said, yeah, parents need to be real careful when we're teaching our kids to love Jesus, and that's the number one thing, it's like there's going to be a lot of competition for that. Again, no pun intended. On Sundays, to go to that meet, to go to that tournament, to go to that game, only ever instead of going, say, to church. Now, hey, the end goal is not just that they go to church, but the end goal is that they would develop a relationship with Jesus. And a big part of that is first day of the week, giving our first fruits to the Lord and spending time with him, coming to him. Cindy and I, hey, this is not to say there's a cookie-cutter answer here, by the way, guys. That's why we have to come around each other and figure, figure this out as best we can. Cindy and I, as best we can, our approach has been, even if our, any of our kids show real aptitude for sports or whatever it might be, we want to be very mindful of that. 
try our best to not do it on Sundays. Not just because daddy and mommy work for the church, but because of what this could mean in their relationship with God. We want, to, we want them to see that the main thing really is the main thing. Now, does that mean we will never do an exception so that they can't go to that tournament or game? That's not what we're saying. But if and when that does happen, we're trying to say that's the exception. And, and not as a rule, but so that they understand the main thing that they would come to Jesus. Is this making sense? So we're working it out and we all have to work it out and collectively we figure it out. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. So parents, are you doing the best you can with God's grace in all of this? It's not meant to be a rule to follow, but a principle to live. Are you doing your best to let your children come to me, Jesus says, and not hindering them? This is what we want to be about as a formal ministry, as, for, as, as a community at large, as parents collectively. We've said from the very beginning, it takes a village. We believe that. And so when we dedicate these wonderful little children, we do this as a church family. Okay, one last thought, and then we'll get to dedications. The gospel itself reminds us how much God loves children and how we are to learn from them. The gospel itself teaches us these things. How so? Well, I feel like we tend to take this thought for granted, or maybe we don't even really think about it, especially outside of Christmas. But Jesus came to us a baby, lived a life as a child. Think about that for a second. This is the same one the book of Hebrews tells us, creator of all things, the sustainer of all things by the power of his word, the same one who became a lowly, vulnerable, dependent child on earthly parents who were far from perfect, I might add. I always chuckle at the story this time of year when I get, get around to the Christmas stories of how Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. That story is hilarious to me, like when they went out and tried to find him. What's his name? Who are you looking for? Oh, our son, Jesus. You know, kind of the prophesied Messiah. But yeah, do us a, a help if you can help us find him quick. Like, how's that for grace? If you ever lose a kid, you're, you got some grace with you. <laughs> you lose the son of God. But that's what Jesus came into, being a child, being a baby, being vulnerable. Why? So that we could receive his kingdom as a child, be brought into as children of God. I mean, one of the verses I love to quote here because it just gets at the gospel so clearly is John 1. To all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. We sang earlier that I am a child of God. We are children of God. Not just any children. The novelist George MacDonald uh, had a real fascination and found real great joy in writing about princes and princesses. And at one point he was asked, why, why are you always writing about, say, princesses? And he said, well, because every, prin because every little girl is a princess. And the questioner got a little confused by that. So John McDonald said, well, John McDonald said, George McDonald said, well, what, what do you see as a princess? He said, well, that's a child of the king. He said, very well then, every little girl is a princess. Every person is a child of the king. You, me, adults, men, women, boys and girls. We're all children of the king, and the gospel is Jesus has made a way back into his kingdom. If we would receive him like a child, utter dependence, and receive him as if he has done everything because he has done everything. Praise God. So let me ask you as we close this out, would you describe your faith as, a, as childlike? And what would that mean for you to live 
Live your life with childlike faith. For some of you, it might be receiving Jesus for the first time. And you know, the reason why it's called gospel or good news is that you can receive it as a free gift. He has done everything for you and for me. He's accomplished it all. And so how do you become a follower of his, a child of God? It's by saying, yes, I see my need for you. I ask for forgiveness of sins, which I realize you have made possible through your death on the cross, the life that you give eternally through your resurrection, and I receive that. You can do that even right now if you want to. By receiving the Lord, praying, asking him to receive you. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to make a little note on your connection card as a little spiritual marker. We'd love to come alongside you and pray with you. For those of you who have received the gospel, you are followers of his. Would you describe your faith right now as childlike? Or... Has your relationship become, with God become more calculating in nature? Or would you say, has your relationship with God become more comparing? Why do they have it that way? Why I don't have it this way. Or is it mostly about receiving God with dependent openness and gratitude? That's the only other thing I'd leave you with is, hey, we're getting ready to enter into Thanksgiving week. Good turkey coming our way, or hope you get something. Tofu, if that's your thing. But as we enter into Thanksgiving week, this is a real gift for us as a society, let alone as a church. Maybe for you, receiving with childlike faith is remembering what we talked about with that little girl, then four years old, who would pray, thank you, Jesus, for how much you love me. Maybe there's things in your life right now where you're, you've been upset with God because he hasn't been doing what you want him to do already, or hasn't been giving you the thing that you really want him to give, and you might need to remember, really, it comes back to saying thank you for who he is and what he's doing. It's going to be okay. He's going to work it, work it out for you. What does it look like for you to come to him today, this week, accepting him with childlike faith? Uh, let's pray. And actually, as we pray, can we have the families make their way onto the stage? Father, thank you so much for the promise of the gospel that we are received by you as children of God. Thank you so much for coming into this world vulnerable, lowly, and dependent like a child in utter need for your earthly parents to take care of you, imperfect people. What a beautiful gift to know that in our imperfect care for our kids, we think about dedicating these little ones. You are our heavenly father. And you know, not only as a father, but even as a, as a child and up, what it is you are teaching that day when you said, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say, you can enter it as you enter it as a child. And so Father, help us to enter into your faith as a child. If there are any people here today who have not received you, I pray that today would be the day they receive you with childlike faith. For those of us who have been following you for a while and we've made it, not so much childlike for whatever reason. Would you help us to come back to what we're saying today, that we are children of God, that you have been faithful all our lives and you'll continue to be faithful. We say thank you as your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.